Oh, it's my fault you're a klutz. You stumbled back to the Sopranos podcast, season three, episode eight. What you wish for. In the meantime, you take your pleasures where you can. That line is given by Corrado Jr. Soprano in a wonderful scene between he and his nephew Tony in this season three, episode eight of The Sopranos entitled, He is Risen. Written by Robin Green, Mitchell Burgess, and Todd A. Kessler and directed by the increasingly legendary Alan Coulter. <laughs> Initial reactions, first of all, hi everybody, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we're going to talk about, I guess, the closest thing we're going to get from The Sopranos as far as a Thanksgiving special. Uh, a lot of my childhood cartoon. Uh, heartwarming Thanksgiving special. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we can all look around and be thankful for what we have and, and enjoy the bonds of family and loyalty that uh, tie us all together. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it is a episode I, I, I do... You know, this just goes back to childhood, I, I perhaps. But even though this is not a heartwarming holiday special, I do enjoy when television shows and movies kind of center themselves around a time of year or an event or, or a holiday because it, it allows you some kind of grounding and something familiar, but then you can play with it, right? So I love episodes that are centered around holidays or events or things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board right away knowing that this is a Thanksgiving kind of episode. Yeah. My initial thought is that the setting of this episode around Thanksgiving is just beautiful irony because this is an episode that is the antithesis of being thankful. This is about reaching for stuff that you don't want, or sorry, <clears throat> rather, this is an episode about reaching for things that you want, things that you desire that maybe you shouldn't have. You're not really thankful for the things you already have. You're thankful for more. You want more. Everything is more. These are not thankful characters. These are desirous characters and they are liars. It's the antithesis of the spirit of Thanksgiving. That's a really good point. Um, this episode also aired on Easter, as it happens, which is the actual reference of the biblical formation. It's also a boner reference, obviously, because this episode's a lot about the romantic tensions, as well as things on the domestic and even the gangster front being, as Jordan, I think, just pointed out essentially unsatisfying and people wanting more out of life and careful what you wish for you might get it yep a lot of the characters are wanting and, and desirous very well said and with that let's lead right in i know that our first instance of wanting and desiring is a uh, meadow desiring some ecstasy from jackie jr what a lovely way to start <laughs> we're at this yeah. uh we're at this frat party that I would climb the highest mountain to get as far away as possible from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, it's uh, somewhere on the, you know, near the Columbia uh, scene, right? Caitlin is fucking blasted out of her skull on ecstasy. <laughs> I <Yeah>. choose you. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say off the bat acting wise here, you know, I, I, the hardest drug I've ever done is marijuana, and it's it's been a very rare experience in my life. But uh, I've been around people on ecstasy, and ding, 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 they nailed it. Uh, Caitlin is <laughs> out of her mind, smiling. Everything is, wow, amazing, beautiful, and bright. This is the happiest we've seen her. 
And um, of course, yeah, they notice Jackie April is there. This guy comes up behind her, dances horribly on her. You like that? I do with you. <laughs> Awful. And uh, they get whisked away. Jackie comes over. What are you doing? He's part of the brother, the brother chapter of the fraternity at a different set of Rutgers offers her some X and she takes it. And he obviously don't tell your dad. I don't even talk to him anymore. What a lovely way to open this up. Don't you just feel great watching all this? Oh yeah. Heartwarming, heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. The first hits always free, always encouraging to hear that, you know, that's going somewhere good. Uh, also, I think actually is interesting because She's so labile, like we never know one episode or one beat to the next where she's going to be. So here she's saying, I'm so not depressed anymore. But it's more drugs, more uh, influence of altered states. And uh, I think her seeking out these thrills and finding your pleasures where you can. So this is the opening uh, wherein, you know, she's seeking this stuff out. And the episode will come together with Tony seeking out his ecstasy as well. Yeah. On a, on a level personal to the character, Caitlin, uh, what's sad about this is ecstasy actually, and one of the main reasons I never played with it when I was younger and partying, is that um, while it feels wonderful when you're on it, it actually is shown to have very terrible long-term effects on your happiness. And, <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, you know, it could permanently fuck up your serotonin levels and your, yep. your pleasure hormones uh, in the long term. So uh, right. not a... Not, well, it's in a way, it's nice to see Caitlin with an actual smile on her face. It's actually sure. really depressing and sad. Yeah, uh, the drug ecstasy is here used certainly symbolically in exactly the way that you just described. It gives you the thing you think you want, but there are drawbacks. Did you mm -hmm. really want this? You were seeking out a, a fake happiness, right? A, a mirage, essentially. And we're going to see this mirrored cascading, rather, through the episode. Yep. I think another smart thing in the episode here is that even though the Sopranos always has and always will want to surprise the audience and will still be able to, here I think it's actually nice that the audience is a bit ahead of two of the central characters, both Meadow and Jackie. They're getting to know each other. There's some attraction here, obviously. But Meadow, because she doesn't know about the extent of Jackie's interest in criminal life, she just kind of thinks of him as a low-level ex-dealer and be Jackie because of his rank stupidity they don't actually seem to get how this could be a problem as much as the audience does at this point I think we're a bit ahead of them which adds a nice tension to it here very astute observation you know what you can do with that Paul read him and suck my dick Ralphie rolls the dice into the <laughs> <laughs> out of this scene and um, <laughs> he's cleaning up at craps we're in some kind of illegal casino operation. Ralphie is always flush. God just knows how to make money. The, the show keeps just that on him as a thing. He's very lucky, a lucky character. Yep. I'm on a roll here, he tells Gigi when Gigi chastises him for not going over to greet Tony. Hands full of cash. Yep. Yeah. Well, how true that is. He is on a roll. He doesn't even realize how big the roll is about to be. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fucking Facha de Mird is the line Paulie uses to describe Ralphie when he sees him, which <laughs> for those of you is who don't understand the face, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> face of shit in a literal translation, yeah. but we would call it shit face. Hilarious. 
And uh, yeah, he doesn't all the whole April crew slash GG crew, I guess, comes over and greets Tony, kisses, vetoes there. Uh, this other goon, Donnie K, you know, they all kind of go over, greet Tony. Ralphie is the last one to go over there. And there's just a look of hate off Tony as he's glaring over toward Ralphie. And then uh, Ralphie comes over. The music choice here is excellent. You got this kind of Wild West showdown. The hate is unspoken, but they're going to make very loose, meaningless gestures that are going to have great impact. You know, Tony is glaring at him with absolute revulsion, but offers him a drink. Ralphie says, another time, Anthony, and goes back to the table. Another time, Tony says. And that little gesture is going to propel the next phase of this rivalry, so to speak, between Tony and Ralphie. I thought the acting in this scene was so great between the two of them, particularly, I think, because the dialogue is so deliberately flat and formal, mm-hmm. right? They're not saying any of the things that are underlying this tension, but all the tension is there. I thought Joe, Joey Pants and James Gandolfini, they just did terrific work here. Correct. Yeah, two monster actors. And uh, not to den- uh, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna denigrate Ray Liotta at all. I think Ray Liotta is a great actor. But we actually just learned in an interview with David Chase that Ray Liotta was considered for the role of Ralphie, and uh, didn't get, ended up not not taking it. I think he's the he's the wrong wrong flavor for that character. Right. Well, the point the, I think the point being that you know things happen the way they do for a reason, and Joey Pants is uh, you know as despicable as the character is. Joey Pants is acting the shit out of this and. Look, he's been in the show essentially a handful of episodes here, four or five episodes, and he already feels like a major mainstay. You know what I mean? Like he belongs in this oh, universe. Yes. Let's yeah. be clear. Ralphie Cifaretto really almost from his inception on the show is a completely dominating presence. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way that's like more complex than it was with Richie April. Because Richie April, again, we've said this on the show a bit, but um, Richie April was on, on, only ever really kind of a menacing presence. And that's, uh, you know, Pro- Proval gave a really nuanced performance of that. There were shades of menace. Mm-hmm. You know, there were shades of hurt, shades of menace. But Ralphie, we're allowed to see more sides of Ralphie. Uh, than we really get to see with the Richie character. Um, that's not to say Richie didn't have the opportunities. I, I, you know, Richie, of course, has his relationship with Janice, all that business. But Ralphie is just, I think he's just a more complicated guy. Richie was easier to read. Yeah. Ralphie has a lot going on. He's got a lot of irons in the fire emotionally, psychologically. It's a really rich performance every time you see it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The next scene, I... You know, it's a shame that the bar is this low, unfortunately, for this character. But I wrote, okay, Jackie Jr. is perhaps not a total piece of shit. He, uh, you you get nervous when you see the setting and how fucked up and drunk and intoxicated Meadow is here. And there's has to be that, oh, no, the first time you're seeing the scene, is he going to do something completely irredeemable here? And, you know, considering the choice he could have made and, and perhaps is possibly going to make, Glancing at her tit for a moment is perhaps not as bad as it could have been. Uh, he does stop himself. Still, still not great. But oh, yeah. Like I said, it's sad that the bar is this low. <laughs> yeah. Still, still not great, but very honest to the character. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we should like that he is a basically decent human being and does not rape this girl while she's unconscious. Um, yes, he glances at her tit. Not good. We would rather he didn't do that. But we want to tell a story about Jackie that is is clear, right? 
this guy is kind of a shit. He's got problems of his own to work out, right? He's super immature. We're going to be dealing with all of these things. Yeah. Well said. So we're going to come back to Meadow and Jackie shortly. And then we get this dinner. I guess Tony must've gone to, out to, you know, Vesuvio just right out, right around closing time after this night at the casino. And he's having this great conversation with Syl. Uh, I have to say again, I love these juxtapositions they gave us. Uh, we saw Syl at his worst in university. Silvio at this dinner scene is Silvio to me at his best. He's a voice of reason. He's reflecting back at Tony. Tony's angry and Syl is like, you know, I hear you, but, and kind of being what Syl is there to do as his consigliere, basically giving him the advice. They're weighing, you know, they're weighing the pros and cons of Ralphie just in general. Paulie's last line in the casino scene was, let's just whack this cocksucker and be done with it. So that option is on the table potentially. And Silvio is, you know, they're weighing it. Tony says he's a good earner. Silvio, a guy like that, who's counting? And uh, he disrespected the Bing. But Silvio also has to weigh the counter. You know, that said, she was not related to you by blood or marriage. She was not your guma. All things considered, he's got a legitimate beef. And Silvio lays it down. You either make him disappear or you make nice. There's really no third option. What do we think? And then he floats the idea of Ralphie as captain. Absolutely not over my dead body. Well, first, I would just say I think the rules of 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 this mob life are, are really fucked up. Um, uh, that I, that's not to say I don't respect them. Actually, I do. I, I have a lot of respect for how these guys live their lives, even though it's not a life for me. I don't really get it. I don't really get why Tony can't beat up Ralphie. I understand being made as a thing, but also Tony's like the boss. And also Ralphie, what he did was so inhumane and so despicable that the most he got was a couple of punches out of that. And Tony has to now apologize. It, I, I don't know. It's wild to me. Um, I, I guess I should just get over it. I'm not certainly criticizing the show. It's just it's so hard for me to conceive that you live a life where someone does something so horrible and you can't touch them. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. It's a, uh, it's fascinating. It is weird. It's troubling. It's an example. We're going to see this a lot on The Sopranos. I think we've already started to see it. A character being undone, not by greed or desire for revenge, but essentially sentiment. Tony kind of figured out for a minute that this woman was a human being and he's upset that she was beaten to death. And as Silvio points out, as do Ralphie's gaggle of fucking morons, uh, this is a luxury that the business cannot afford as they look at it. What's ironic is that the rules don't really matter, uh, to Jordan's point, actually. These guys make it up as they go along. According to the rules, strict reading of the rules, Tony made a mistake. He doesn't apologize for it. He manipulates Ralphie into scraping and bound because it's not a it's not a business about rules it's a business about power tony knows it and he figures it out he's better at it than ralphie as good as ralphie is yes yes very well said paul we get a mirror scene of ralphie at dinner Uh, important to note by the way just as far as if you're monitoring the political situation in the former april crew that Gigi is not present here so you have the underlings all kind of pissing and moaning alone and, you know, to, to Junior mentions this in a much later Not scene, but, but basically, yeah, the, the guys, Ralphie is pissing in their ear. He's a great earner and he's just kind of complaining. You know, he knows he was wrong. He's talking shit. I had to laugh again. Ralphie 
always has at least a good a laugh line in every scene, as terrible as he is. Uh, you think what? You think I'm afraid of that fat fuck? No offense. He says to Vito. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all the, he talks about all the money he brings in from construction alone. He should be on his knees, this prick. I'll stick a drumstick up his ass. He's talking about Thanksgiving coming up. <laughs> and uh, f- fuck him and his turkey. He's not going to, he's claiming he's not going to go to Tony's house for Thanksgiving. Yeah, this, this crew is problematic because, yeah, they've, they were, they've had this kind of rotating leadership. Ralphie comes back from Miami and suddenly that's kind of the leader, even though Gigi is there to lead them, but Gigi's Tony's guy, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they don't have that natural loyalty there. So it's a, it's a big problem. And the fact that Gigi's not in this scene represents the problem really well. Yeah. We get the scene at the Bing, the, the Reverend is you know, getting a Turkey donation. Tony gets his Turkey. They're talking about Italian style Thanksgiving and all the courses you get in at, at a proper Italian Thanksgiving. Hesh brings up to Tony this situation with Ralph and the drink being refused, which to me suggests, I think the point of using Hesh there is that if Hesh is aware of this, everybody's talking about it, right? Right. This is a full North Jersey issue now, this feud between Ralph and Tony. It really has globalized the issue. Correct. Yeah. So Tony says, oh my God, Tony has the same revelation Ralphie does in the previous scene, which is oh, that fucking guy's supposed to come over Thanksgiving. Well, that can't happen. Uh, <laughs> and of course, let's not forget, based on, you know, because we've only kind of seen it mentioned in a couple of the previous episodes, but you might even forget, based on what happened in university, that Ralph and Roe, Ralph and Rosalia Priel are an item. So this has implications for the whole family here. There's an interesting parallel here, I think, because in that first scene, Everything felt very compelling and dangerous. It was that smoky room at the casino. You guys remember, I'm sure, the music cue. It felt like a showdown in a spaghetti western with these two guys coming together. And it hasn't taken too long for the conflict to descend into, um, well, I'm not coming to Thanksgiving. Oh, you're not invited anyway. (laughs) So we went from like one time in the West to like the scene in Mean Girls where you can't sit with us. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's, I think it's very funny and deliberately done this way uh, to reflect some of the oscillation with these guys and what they have to deal with and how frustrating it is. The domestic front, there's some very, very funny moments. Agreed. Yeah, this is very petty high school girl stuff, uh, which is hilarious. And uh, speaking of telephone games and going back and forth there, you get this dueling scene where where meadow and jackie are separately asking about who's attending thanksgiving and they make a point to mention they ask about each other jackie asks who's going to is meadow going to be there rosalie of course i love rosalie i think she's very likable as a character but not i hate to say this not the mom this guy needs because she you know she's just the way she comes in is like you know i know you don't like to be pinned down but uh you know <laughs> rosalie is also a terrible judge of character everyone from father in tintola to fucking ralphie cifaretto i mean this this woman just you know it's uh yeah, she's a she's another sad character to me but i guess we'll get more into that <laughs> yeah so you know he needs a mother that's going to go in there and be like your ass is you're coming to this thanksgiving and, and i don't want you know don't open your mouth kind of thing but uh, that's not what he's going to get here and carmen Rowe on the phone together real sweet moment uh when uh oh he was just asking me about her Ooh, my radar's up <laughs> uh <laughs> 
It's sweet. You get the sense that perhaps Carmela is not as wild about the idea, but doesn't want to insult Rosalie. Uh, can you imagine the beautiful children those two would make? Not incorrect. They probably would make some good-looking kids, but... Uh... Janice all sentimental about it, which is fun. A soprano yeah. and an aprile. LOL. Bang. <laughs> yeah, I, the show is doing this weird thing where it's kind of making the audience want Meadow and Jackie to get together. I don't know that I want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that that's something to want. Uh, you know, uh, Paul's absolutely right. The last time a soprano and aprile got together, it was a disaster. If anything, I, I would hope that these families would be working to keep these two apart. Could you imagine how beautiful how beautiful their children would be? I wrote, yes, beautiful and damned. <laughs> wow. Yes. You know, Tony has often spoken, you know, I want my kids to get as far away from this business as possible. Yeah, not if you're married mm-hmm. to Jackie April. Yeah, yeah. Well you know, said, man. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing how counter to their own interests they're behaving because Tony and Carmela, they want this better life for Meadow. She's so smart. She goes to this big shot university. Uh, even Jackie's father had wanted him to go on to university, become a doctor, all this stuff, get them out of this life. But putting these two together just drags them right back into having like an organized crime marriage that is like basically Carmela and Tony's marriage in miniature. I just don't yeah, understand the motivation. Jackie is much stupider. Yeah, that's a really good. I, I, this is a really good point, Jordan. I, I hadn't thought of it in that particular way, but you know, a couple episodes ago in another toothpick, when Meadow was still uh, keeping time with Noah, Tony said, this is what I've been trying to tell you. You stick with your own people. Is this another example of careful what you wish for? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes. Amen. Very good. So Tony comes home with the turkey. They're getting prepared for Thanksgiving. Karma's, quote, feeding an army this year. And uh, Tony drops the news on Carmela. Hey, uh, call them and cancel Rosalie and Ralphie. Doesn't give her an exact reason, but kind of implies like you're either going to call and cancel or I will. And my excuse isn't going to be nearly as nice as yours. So she's put immediately in a hard spot there. I get yeah, it. More, more emotional grunt work that Carmela then has to do to now come up with the perfect lie and sell this to Rosalie. What an awful phone call to have to make. Yeah. And I hate that Tony makes her do this. It just really sucks. Correct. Yeah, it, it does suck, though. I don't know what the alternative is. I guess Tony can call and say, hey, you know, so that uh, stripper you killed, yeah, you can't come. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can't come over now. Uh, Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. (laughs) But yes, of course we feel for Carmela. That's the whole point. It's a tricky situation. But speaking of our radar being up, Rosalie, this next scene, very interesting development in Soprano Lands. Tony dumped Arena. At the end of season two, and we get the sense that things have been kind of life as usual for Tony. But we meet Gloria Trillo, a sexy Mercedes saleswoman, works over at Globe Motors in Jersey and uh, is on the phone in Melfi's office waiting room, trying to sell a uh, Mercedes to a regular client. She's dressed very beautifully. She's looking good. She's sharp as a whip. Uh, Those legs, man. Yep. Those legs. Yeah, she, she's a very sexy woman, played by uh, Annabella Ciora, who is a very yep. talented actor. And yes. um, they have this kind of flirting conversation. Tony is very clearly interested. I love that this meeting occurs in the waiting room of Melfi's office. Tony, wrestling with the feminine allure, goes back to the first shot of the whole series. 
with the statue in Melfi's office and of course Tony's attraction to Melfi. So the scene is just dripping with it. Tony makes up this excuse. I'm trying to quit smoking. She gives this funny line. I'm a serial killer murdered seven relationships and a double booked appointment and smart use of the time of year, by the way, because it's not just a happenstance that, Oh, Melfi just fucked up the appointment book this week. Her appointment's usually on Thursday. It's Thanksgiving week. I love when the writers make something make sense in a way that maybe they didn't even have to, but I like that. That's a good use of your, of your environment. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is an accidental double booking. Really? Well, we have two, well, sorry, we have three options. The first option you've already offered for us that it's just Thanksgiving week and Melfi got a little flustered and accidentally double booked these people. Okay. I would like to offer that Melfi's appointments with Tony are literally unforgettable. How could you book any person at the same time as Tony Soprano? That seems like it could not have been a fuck up on Melfi's part. The other theory I would like to offer is this, that this woman Trillo has already seen Tony about this place at some point and maybe has even known that Tony is a patient. I would suggest that maybe this isn't the first time she's seen him about. I don't know. There's nothing to bear that out as of yet. I just found it a little too serendipitous. I thought maybe this is someone who has scoped Tony before this moment. It just seemed a little off to me as a possibility. I'm not saying that the show wants us to know that in that moment. It just, it seems a little too fortuitous. You say that I want to make a little note of that to address at a point later on in the show, but uh, let's talk about that. Uh, But I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up, Jordan. That's an interesting theory. Yes. And keep in mind listeners, if anyone's, listening to this like right now being like jordan's a fucking idiot i don't remember most of the rest of this season or next season so i'm going mostly blind on these having seen them now mostly for the first time mm-hmm. well and jordan even uh going at it blind you are as usual fairly astute this is one of my favorite storylines on the sopranos if not my absolute favorite it's got so much tension it's so interesting. It's the sexiest the show has ever been up to this point. Um, sexuality on the show up to this point has been, particularly for Tony, much more frustrated and uh, anticlimactic than, than it is here. Here it works out much better. Everything from the way the woman is situated, uh, her legs, um, Tony's outlook in the scene being, as Chris, you pointed out, much more comfortable than he usually is in this setting. Even his sheepishness has a certain charm to it. Um, I love the detail that this client that I guess she's trying to sell this car to wants to have lunch with her, it seems. And she I think, tells a lie that they have a business, they have a sales meeting during lunch. So we yeah. see that she has her options open and she's not interested in certain people. Immediately, there's attraction here. What's interesting to note too, just... As a just as an observation, is that we're dealing with something different than your average run-of-the-mill potential Gumar here, right? Arena, complicated, interesting character, but very immature, much younger than Tony. It's important to note that Gloria, in addition to being sexy, Tony's type, dark hair, and a little bit mysterious, is also very sophisticated. This is a woman who's were presented in, and even in this short scene, led to believe very good at what she does very competent and very smart. And Mm -hmm. so there's a level of sophistication here already that is different from what Tony perhaps had with arena, which is like, I'm I'm banging the hot young Russian. That's probably how he saw that. This is a little bit different. Tony might get a different 
obviously sexual attraction, but there's a different kind of stimulation going on here, I think. Yeah, for sure. Then we get this awful phone call. Carmela makes the call. Uh, she has to come up with a story about her father's white blood cells. Oh, God, and, it's so uh, sweaty, so cringy. I actually had to, like, force myself through this little scene. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I hate shit like this when somebody's lying. And I'm just thinking about how, not only how bad, bad for Carmela, but I actually feel for Rosalie now, who the day before Thanksgiving has to whip up a last minute thing of her own. You know, that just sucks. Yeah, yeah and, and we see later her family is so small. I just, I felt bad for Rosalie, who's just yeah. kind of caught in this shitty situation. I really like Rosalie, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah. She's very likable character played. Very, uh, very likable. Reminds very me well. of a lot of women in my family, in my life. I just, yeah, I felt bad. Yeah, I think the act, Sharon Angela is the name of the actress. She's she's wonderful, very charming. Um, yeah. And uh, very real too. Like this is a woman who's lived in North Jersey her whole life. And, you know, it's just very funny. But Ralphie's in the background. He knows right away what this is. You know, he doesn't spill the beans for Rosalie, but they've staged Ralphie in the scene and shoot him in a way that's very suggestive of the idea that Ralphie's onto it. Uh, this motherfucker's canceling Thanksgiving on me. He gets it. Ralphie gets it. And then uh, Tony's in therapy. Late night, he comes back for the later appointment at seven. So it's a little darker in here than normal. Again, the detail. I love the detail. And he's being pretty frank here about Ralphie, talking about the situation a little bit, not in completely frank terms, but he's laying out a little bit what happened here with Ralphie. He's talking about the art of war and Sun Tzu being better about strategy. Just an interesting little glimpse into Tony's world here, but this is not ultimately a productive subject for Tony's therapy either. Dr. Melfi, what are you doing putting Lao Tzu in this guy's hands? What are you doing? Why are you giving this guy the art of war? I don't know how she thought that might have helped. I I'm sure she didn't even recommend it as therapy. This was probably an off-the-cuff comment. She read Lao Tzu, the art of war. Was this actually in an episode? Do we recall this? It was? Yeah, I think uh, so. Big Girls Don't Cry, I think when he first comes back, she quips you uh, with him, do you want to learn how to be a better gang leader? Read The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Oh, oh right. God. Tony That's Burwell, right. She says that she says that exact phrasing. Yeah. Well, it may it may be a better gang leader. This episode is about his management. You're right. Uh yeah. So it might have taken Tony two years, but he just read the book. <laughs> and uh, Melfi, for the first time, I'll say this, Melfi, you silly, silly woman. Why would you give him better tools by which to do his cruel, evil job? <laughs> yeah, whoops. You imagine probably in the back of her head, she's not, not something she would express. But you have to imagine when he mentions this, there has to be a moment of, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, Art of War. I mean, it's a classic. There's a reason it's lasted as long. A lot of people use it. For business strategy and things like that, it's it's one of those things like every CEO probably has on their shelf. But at the same yes. time, for in a guy like Tony's hands, it's it's quite deadly. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's very interesting. And it's better uh, Prince Machiavelli. Better than yeah. Machiavelli, yeah. <laughs> yes, nice nice malaprop. Yeah. First of all, that's true. I think. Um, secondly, I think Tony is interesting in this way because I think most. Italian gangsters or Italian wannabe gangsters read Mach Machiavelli and they, they then think they're like a philosopher. Um, I have to give <laughs> credit. He's, uh, I think he's a more compelling reader um, in choosing Sun Tzu. Agreed. So the last little button on this scene, Tony mentions the woman out there. Melfi, of course, cordially apologizes for the mix-up. 
And he poses a very interesting question that we're not going to get an answer to because of doctor-patient confidentiality. But he says, what does a woman like that, what does someone like that need to shrink for? Very interesting indeed. I wonder if someone might, uh, init on initial reaction, say the same about Tony. So, you know, he looks very handsome, uh, but uh, it's uh, quite, a, quite a question there. What indeed? Yeah, well, Tony, maybe you shouldn't be picking up girls at therapy, specifically at your therapy. Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, all very good uh, questions to bring up about this. And also, Tony is there discussing. First of all, just quick shout out. Tony mentions at the beginning that he wakes up at three in the morning from a nightmare. Three o'clock. So just dropping that there. Uh, that's three o'clock. Yeah. Two, he's talking about these business problems, which are obviously headaches, and they don't have an obvious solution. And then he just brings the question back to this woman that, of course, left an impression earlier that day. So it's an early indication that this is where Tony is going to seek his release. Thanksgiving. We're finally here. Thanksgiving Day. We meet uh, Janice's new arm candy, a man named Aaron Arkaway. I Good Lord. get a big kick out of this character. Uh, <laughs> he's a narcoleptic. We find out he falls asleep on Tony's arm in this initial scene. Hey, you know, they're watching football. We get this little moment here. And this is unlike the last episode where we may have expressed a little bit of criticism about the flashback to the dream. I actually liked this little cutaway showing the Tracy with the bread meadow with the bread. I think that worked. Yes, that was great. That was great. And it, it really gets to the heart of what is on Tony's mind when he can't really readily accept an apology from Ralphie, which we'll get into. But um, I thought I thought this one was good. I did not love the uh, flashback to the fish in the dream in the previous episode when we saw the um, the big mouth bass. Uh, but here I did like it because yeah. that moment with her standing in the kitchen was that emotional touchstone was really important. Yeah. Yep. So he takes a moment to just make sure Meadow knows, hey, you know, I know we've had a rough patch lately. And honestly, uh, looking at it from the outside, it doesn't look like things are going to get any better. But this is kind of a, a very real fatherly instinct, especially with all that's going on for Tony to just say, hey, you know what? Just on, on this holiday, I know we're in the shits right now, but ultimately you're always going to be my daughter and I love you. Just don't forget mm -hmm. that. Which is, uh, given what happened to Tracy and, and everything that's going on, I think is a, a rare sweet moment from Tony. Uh, so it was, it was nice. It was nice to see that. And Meadow is a little taken aback, but he's belligerent, he's racist, but he's dad. <laughs> right. I think uh, also, I agree with you guys. This is a good moment. It's, it's a bit distressing, but it's distressing, I think, in uh, Tony making this association and then feeling uh, compelled to say this to Meadow. It's also an example of the business world and his domestic life seeping together, as also happens with the difficulty over Thanksgiving itself. And I think that might be a good reason why, again, finding your pleasures where you can is looking for something outside, which is where mm. glory comes back in at the end of the episode. Mm. Correct. We get a little glimpse of Rosalie's Thanksgiving. It's certainly a contrast to the one we were just uh, at with you know, full house, people cheering, watching football, fun conversations, an abundance of food. And it's just, you got the basics here. You got grandma, you got a turkey, you got your cranberry sauce, and you got uh, two very quiet brooding men 
uh, Rosalie is so sweet. She's really trying to be optimistic and make it work. And what a nice, what a blessing in disguise. My two men, you know, she's got her hands on both the Ralphie and Jackie. Uh, yeah. Jackie, of course, gets up the second he's allowed to. And Ralphie, you know, what, you know, some fucking manners. What'd she just say? You know, gets <laughs> Jackie, uh, and, you know, annoyed. And she's like, why don't you ask Meadow to see if she wants to go to a movie? Rosalie trying to fan this flame. So Jackie does so. Ralph looks miserable, <laughs> very de- depressed and embarrassed. And yeah, I'm not trying to pass judgment on Rosalie. As I said, I like her quite a lot. But this um, very symbolic Thanksgiving to me, in a kind of a reap what you sow sort of sense. Now I come from a family that's very small. We've often had a small, quiet Thanksgiving, just the four of us. But uh, sort of ironic. Um, when Carmela mentions that she just wants to have a small sort of an intimate Thanksgiving this year because her father is sick, that is the Thanksgiving that she has doomed this other family to mm. on Tony's behalf. Uh, if they're not sharing in Tony's generosity, literally sharing his wealth, right? This is the kind of table that they will set for their Thanksgiving, kind of this last minute slapdash uh, thing that they put together. Everyone looks miserable at this Thanksgiving, except for Rosalie, who, as usual, is just trying to put on a good show. Jackie's already one foot out the door and Ralphie is sort of miserable. Um, you know, it's it's a great contrast. Uh, the two scenes it creates this really nice dynamic. And symbolically, I mean, it, it puts even more pressure on Ralphie, for maybe his for his future prospects. You know, how many more meals can I eat like this? You know, I, I need to make nice. The pressure's on. Exactly. Very well said. Yeah, because the thing is, and and uh, Paul alluded to this earlier, T- Tony has the power in this relationship. Um, you know, he's he's the one that is more um, uh, talented in this so-called art of war. Right. He's got all the resources. Ralphie, what are you what are you doing ultimately? How long can you sustain this? Right. Exactly. That's a good point. Yes. I Yeah. I also thought the parallels were great. Did you guys notice when they cut back to Tony's place, it's, you know, you got the full table. And I think we've come to the part of Thanksgiving where dessert and coffee has been served. So first yeah. of all, they're eating like they're having coffee and eating Carmela's homemade dessert. So that's fucking awesome. And it also looks like they've brought out like the sweet liquor, like the Sambuca. So the party can keep yeah. going. It's a, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches, right? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But Good news is it's almost time for turkey sandwiches. <laughs> Tony throws a grape at Aaron. Even Meadow has to laugh at that. And, and that's something that perhaps a girl in her position, uh, you know, probably wouldn't normally laugh at, but it even catches her. It's just so funny. Janice has to explain narcolepsy to Tony and the group uh, and that it's a, you know, it's a real thing. Unlike most of the things she has dealt with her whole life or Epstein bar and all that. Uh, (laughs) so yeah jackie first of all a a lot of humor here as to be expected it's a sopranos dinner scene you got green and burgess uh on this one uh but you know the doorbell goes off and carmela's mother is like oh my god who's that (laughs) and carmela's line it's the boston strangler my jesus (laughs) kills me kills me every time then jackie comes in and uh, we get our title quote for the episode. <laughs> At least uh, the, 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 this is where the Sopranos uh, got it from. Aaron Arkaway drops the born again line of the of of the millennium, which is, uh, "Hey, have you heard the good news? He is risen." 
<laughs> hilarious. I think that yep. the delivery, the awkward pause, he probably said that to everybody on the way in, you know, one yep. at a time. <laughs> this Aaron Arkway character, I want more of him. He's so fucking funny. The, the casting is perfect on this guy. And what a great subversion of, of Thanksgiving that usually opens with some kind of a grace or a prayer, right? Sharing your riches with each other, with God, right? The the only religious person here is literally asleep, <laughs> you know, as, as being, put, being put through this. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Meadow and Jackie, they head off together. Very publicly, right? Yes. He publicly asks her out at Thanksgiving dinner. There is no more possible formal declaration than I would like to take you to a movie. I would like to date you. And I'm announcing this to the entire family and in front of Tony, which I wonder if this earns him some respect points. I think it does. Sure it does. This That's, is, uh... I think open, open courting is something I think an old school guy like Tony would really appreciate. Absolutely. Look, you know what this reminds me of in a, in a kind of a twisted way. There's always there. I mean, there's Godfather references peppered all over the show. When Michael has to date Apollonia in Godfather, they do it in the full presence of the family. He goes on walk with Apollonia. We see them walking alone through the Italian, uh, you know, landscape. And then the, the shot as they go further in the distance, the whole family is just walking like 20 feet <laughs> yeah. behind them. And he can't get her in private until the wedding night, which is, I think, how you know, maybe in Tony's idealized version of the past, that must be how it goes. Remember his quote in season one, in this house, it's 1954. And <laughs> yeah. uh, so in his head, this is this is great. Not knowing, of course, that Jackie was catching a, a glimpse of tit, uh, you know, mere days ago. And you know, it's, <laughs> Tony is looking at this situation with Jackie and Meadow through rose-colored glasses, obviously, because well, at least it's not the black kid, right? <laughs> yeah that's how he's seeing it so they go out uh you know and they're making out in the car she doesn't go to the movies with him she's going over to hunters he has no interest come on come with me let's go to dubs his buddy dino's house she's not interested one last little note by the way i think is funny about the previous scene that i forgot to mention is that uh somebody mentions that his gpa is up this quarter and then he tells Meadow yeah. the next scene that he doesn't even go to school anymore he wants to be hugo boss men's fashion this is an important moment, though. And as much as Jackie sucks and he's a he's a doofus and he's like a, a Jersey Shore wannabe kind of douchebag, this gives us a little like there's something there. Like, oh, maybe he could be stir steered in the right direction if he wasn't he didn't have this issue of his own sense of masculinity getting in the way of his desire to be a fashion designer. Like, you know, having a having a character like this actually have something that he could potentially be interested in besides being a lackey in Tony's crew. That's, that's something. Right. It's just unfortunate that he, he mentions his interest in fashion in the same breath that he uses the F slur to describe like right. a, a gay person's interest in that same pursuit. So you're like, okay, it's nice that he has this interest, but his background is just kind of always going to bar him from that. Right. Uh, yeah. What is the quote faggy and quote, part of it, the work like he says i just want to be hugo boss jackie jr wants in the fashion industry the way that chris wanted in hollywood i want to be a player what, what else is, they don't have any do they have talents to offer <laughs> they have uh, a, a work ethic no they're seeking out status it's it's hollow yeah so He's really trying hard here. Meadow has to drop the, listen, I'm fresh off a breakup thing. You know, that's uh, I need time, but I want to take it slow. She's clearly interested. It's not, I don't think this is a rejection. Like, Hey, stop trying. It's just like, Hey, 
I don't want to go to your buddy Dino's house and fuck right now is kind of the underscore here is like, I'm just kind of, I'm a little raw emotionally. And he again, does the bare fucking minimum that he can do to maintain her admiration and respect by accepting it. But of course we know how he's really feeling when he screeches through the stop out, like pulls away at 80 miles an hour and screeches right through the stop sign. He's pissed off. He's frustrated. I'm not excusing him. I don't actually even really like Jackie Jr. all that much. But again, again, I know it's it's easy for us to judge. These characters are 20. They're yeah. they're you know, he's a kid. Um, again, I, I said this in a previous episode. Someone has to teach him to be better. Yeah. Whether that will actually happen, we will have to see. Mm-hmm. Good point. Meadows immaturity will also inform the next beat, just as Jackie's immaturity informs this one. So as you said, they're 20 and it's one step forward, two steps back with people. Right. Yes. Well said. Cut from the screeching to a different kind of car screeching on the TV. Tony's watching a uh, Mercedes commercial, of course, with elevated interest. Again, not being thankful with what the, hey, you know, they have at least two cars in this family, but you know, we know he's not looking beyond just the car, but again, more desire, more longing, not being happy with what you have. Oh, yeah. Why be thankful with the car you have when you can have the car you want, the car and, you're wishing for, right? Exactly. The car you desire. And the Why woman, be happy with the wife you have. Thank when you. you yes. have this woman you desire. That's the point I was going to make is he has Carmela talking at him. And I didn't even mention what she was even saying because I was watching Tony and he wasn't paying attention to her either. She was, yeah. you know, just kind of talking in the background and we're, we're the camera's stuck on his face mm-hmm. watching this Mercedes commercial. I'm thinking of buying one of these. Oh, you should. It's a great car. Uh, no kidding, Carm. I don't think he's going for the ride you think he is, though. Yeah. Also made a note in the previous episode, um, Second Opinion, uh, he's making a huge deal of donating $50,000 to Columbia because he thinks it's extortion, but uh, he has no problem buying a brand new Mercedes for no reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the money he's going to shower upon Gloria if this works out. Oh, yeah, a sure. If he if he has a full-fledged affair, he might as well just take out a million dollars now. <laughs> yeah. We get this uh, scene here. Everyone seems to be, uh, we're back to the gangster world. Everyone's talking about Tony and Ralph. I think we're in the back of the Bing, and we meet this, I, I think, a, I think, I could be wrong. Correct me if I if I missed this. I think this is the first appearance of a character referred to as Little Paulie. Uh, who is there? He's he's sitting next to Paulie. They don't give you much context here, but this character is uh, joining the show for the first time. His name is Paulie Germani, aka Little Paulie. He's Paulie's nephew. He's somehow attached to Big Paulie. So we're gonna we're gonna get more on him at a future date. But first appearance of him, I just wanted to note it. I put a little star on my notes anytime we meet a new character for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing a better job in season three in general of expanding the Sopranos universe. Um, you know, in the first season especially, you get the sense that okay, there's this little nuclear family, and then there's these other captains, and they have their own crews. But you're starting to now see that the scope is kind of um, intentionally vague, and I, I I sort of like that. It sort of justifies how Ralphie appears out of nowhere. It's just like, oh, he was in Miami. He was part of a different crew. You kind of buy it. And these guys kind of start coming in and out. And I start to get more comfortable with that as a more casual viewer. Correct. Yeah. You have to just kind of accept the fact that, you know, for the 30 or so gangsters we're seeing, there's probably like another 50 or so that we don't see. Sure. That this is a much larger operation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So when they bring in new characters like that, it, it makes sense. So everyone's, right. but everyone's talking about Tony and Ralph. This is still the talk of the Jersey mob scene. It hasn't been fixed. It hasn't been addressed. Tony disinvited. In fact, it's only adding to the gossip 
this whole Thanksgiving thing that Tony disinvited Ralph. I heard Ralphie wasn't going to go, you know, that kind of thing. Everyone's managing reputation and discussing what it all means, you know. Gigi is frustrated but stalwart is what I put here. He's he's a loyal Tony guy. I like that he vents exactly what's going on, but then he says, listen, I'm not complaining, you asked. We talked at length in a previous episode about how Gigi is our kind of like in a way he's like an ideal blue collar mid-level gangster he's very believable this guy this actor playing him and we see that there is a frustration here and silvio mentions the bags under his eyes fucking stress is killing him but uh there's something going on here with Gigi, uh and uh, his frustration with ralph is hitting a bit of a fever pitch and he's not enjoying his day-to-day but for all intents and purposes, we are still seeing that he is a loyal Tony guy through and through. And that's an important note that he is uh, Tony's man overseeing this crew because we're going to come back to that. He warns Ralphie at the top in the casino. Ralphie says, I'm on a roll here. Gigi says, you'll be on a slab if you keep it up. So it's another anticlimactic element in this because uh, Gigi ends up dying and affecting the whole the format. He says to uh, Tony at one point in this scene describing the frustrations with Ralphie says plus you and him and all that other shit um and all Gigi ends up backing up and he blows a gasket the poor son of a bitch um and I think ultimately as you said there's important stuff about him being a Tony loyalist here but also about how the stress is killing him and Tony again will want to relieve stress by the end of the episode because as he reflects about Gigi maybe he wants my fucking job well it it also suggests that Gigi might not have perhaps been the best man for the job on a, on paper, but he's Tony's guy nonetheless. So he got it. You know what I mean? Be careful what you wish for. So another example of that here, the next scene, very intriguing development here. We see Ralphie and Johnny sack. Now this is exactly what Tony feared in his worst nightmares, which is one of his guys pissing in Johnny sacks ear in the living in North Jersey. Uh, I love the elevation of Johnny Sack, it feels like he went from a maybe once or twice a season character to they're kind of stepping up, stepping him up here. And I love Vince Curatola, the actor playing him, so I'm happy to see more of him. But we get the scene of, of Ralph. Did you hear about what he did with Thanksgiving? Not good, Ralph. And he's just kind of bouncing off and uh, makes a vague threat. He says, you want to commit suicide? Pills are a lot easier. Don't talk crazy. Ralph floats the idea. What if I wanted to jump ship and come to your family? Uh, interesting suggestion. Johnny throws cold water on it and says, you know, Carmine doesn't know who you are. <laughs> Ralphie says, you could tell him. Johnny, of course, kind of lays it out very pragmatic fashion. Listen, Tony, I'm not going to deny Tony has his faults, but our families are intertwined in a long-term business arrangement. That's not going to change for anybody, even you. So how can we work? You know, what, what needs to work, happen here? I love Ralphie's little list. A, she was a hua. B, she hit me. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, and then adds, of course, I, plus that wasn't my kid she was carrying. Yeah. Well, maybe that's true. Probably not. But fuck you either way. <laughs> yeah. Um, not loving Johnny Sack's involvement here. Um, this is not what Tony wanted. And I, I hardly see how Ralph thinks he's getting away. As you said, Johnny Sack throws cold water immediately on the idea of of Ralph perhaps joining up with one of the New York families. Uh, Carmine doesn't know him. But also, Ralph has some intuition. He's a smart character. Going to Johnny Sack 
uh, and kind of going around Tony rather than going directly to Tony is not how the chain of command is really supposed to work, right? I, I don't I don't envision this going well, even if Tony liked Ralph and yeah. they happen to have some kind of a beef. Um, you know, imagine any other character rather than going to Tony and being like, hey, man, this is the deal going to one of the other big guys from another family to put this deal together for you, which is not even really a deal. Um, I get why Tony's so fucked up in this episode towards Ralph. I, I completely get it in every scene. I understand that, that, you know, resolving things with Ralph nicely would quiet the tension in the family. But also I'm like, fuck Ralph, fuck every decision he makes and fuck everything he says. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel similarly. I also feel there's something in the tension with Johnny Sachs involvement where I feel similarly to the way Jordan did, but also as Tony has pointed out, he doesn't like that Johnny Sack moved to Jersey and didn't tell him. And now he doesn't want Ralphie so close to Johnny Sack, but Johnny Sack's involvement does not end up being a disaster here. It just ends up being ineffective basically because they all lie. Mm. They all obfuscate too much. Ralphie is completely unprepared to be humbled as he is later on. It seems actually like this is building up to something possibly bad happening. Then Gigi dies and it gives Tony the opening uh, absurdly to give Ralphie what he wants. It's an interesting episode in this way. Cause again, I think it's all yeah. kind of anticlimactic. Johnny Sack ends up not blowing everything up, just not really being helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Also worthy of mention, just a little tangent. Um, we get another shot uh, of Johnny Sack's wife. Uh, I wonder <laughs> Ralph using some restraint to not make any kind of a comment when I think he says, I think I'm paraphrasing Johnny Sack's poor thing. She used to be some hoofer, a dancer when she was younger. Now her joints are all a mess. Uh, no, Johnny, it's because your wife is incredibly overweight and carrying around that weight over a long period of time. Yeah. It's going to do some stuff to your joints, but um, mm. you know, we'll, we'll put a little, uh, pin in in johnny having a, a wife who has some weight issues yeah well said guys i love that and but but i have to say despite its ineffectiveness i am enjoying on an entertainment level watching johnny metal here lie to tony doing the classic like oh yeah he's excited to talk to you kind of thing like yeah yeah no he wants to apologize ralphie's you know <laughs> that is bad mediation that is really bad mediation <laughs> but he's trying damn it johnny sack is trying <laughs> But, you know, they're on the verge of a big money project here with this Esplanade, as, as, as they've alluded to several times, the Riverfront front project in Newark. So Johnny is trying his as best he could to smooth this over to ill effect. Uh, would you take Capo of your crew? Ralphie posturing says, no, no way. No, uh, you know, I don't want that. Yeah, OK. But then Johnny goes to Tony, has this conversation, says Ralph wants to apologize, asks, would that help? Tony says, if it was sincere, it might relieve me of a, quote, very unpleasant decision. And Johnny even comes back with the, the same thing Silvio said, just different phraseology. You know, she was a whore, Tony, uh, as if that makes it what Ralph did completely okay. It's a very... And we have to take Tony's side here, right? Tony has realized she was not just a whore, mm. right? This is the thing he can't swallow. Yeah. So he floats Ralph as capo. Tony's not having it. Johnny calls Ralphie. He's delighted. He wants to hear your apology. And Ralphie says, that's great. He thanks John. So we'll see how that apology goes in, in short order. But then we get the scene at home with Ralphie and Jackie. He offers Jackie more ecstasy. 
trying to explains this whole thing. Tony canceling that is just trying to save face. Poor judgment on Ralphie's part. I mean, Tony has expressed time and time again that he wants Jackie to be in no part and no way involved in this business. And he's giving Jackie ecstasy, which Jackie, of course, was giving ecstasy to Meadow. So, you know, he's he's almost like in a de facto way, poisoning the boss's daughter through Jackie in this way. It's just, it's, it's just all bad yeah. news. Jackie yeah. does have poor, I mean, uh, Ralphie does have very poor judgment. Ralphie is saying to the kid, um, first of all, he, he's telling him about this thing with Tony. He says, Tony's trying to save face. Um, but Ralphie is trying to save face with Jackie, obviously. And at the ex- he does this whole thing with the with ecstasy. And as he walks out, he says, be good. I mean, this just is to George's <laughs> point how Jackie really needs or needed somebody to show him a better way in life. And he is not getting it here. No, certainly not. Not from Ralphie. Uh, and seeing Ralphie's true colors in university only adds fuel to the fire of the level of bad situation that Jackie is in as far as role models in his life to look after him. I mean, Tony can quip and joke and, and try to coach him along as best he can, but he's fucking living with Ralph essentially. That's like shoveling shit against the tide. Unfortunately, one little moment in the therapy scene that really touched me and made my wife and I just kind of go, Oh, and look at each other was when Tony offered to walk Melfi out to her car you had to just have that kind of reaction. It, oh, yeah. it, was, it was a very sweet gesture on Tony's part. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't quite understand what it meant to her. I bring that up because then we get this little scene with Melfi. I think this was an important scene to add because Melfi is so strong and she has been very vague about the rape since deciding to not tell Tony about it and making the moral decision and knowing that the justice system won't help her. She has to, because there's no, what other choice do you have in life? She has to forge on. But we see in the scene that she's still very, this was a major life trauma. This is never going to be better for Melfi on a certain yeah. level. So, so she's she's just kind of venting to Elliot. And uh, is the woman that Melfi is complaining about at the top of this scene, Gloria? It's possible. She says I thought that. That seems a bit old. But Yeah, 50 seems too old. But like, if Gloria is only partly fibbing when he says, I murdered seven relationships... And Melfi saying, no wonder this guy left you. She's calling me at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought, hey, Chris, did she use the emergency number? Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> Jesus, these fucking interruptions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Elliot. Yeah, Elliot, of course. Um, she expresses, you know, he and he asks about patient Soprano. I almost fell in his arms crying. For all of Elliot's faults, though, I, I do appreciate him acknowledging her power and the fact that she's been able to kind of forge on here. Absolutely. He's not a complete incompetent. He's just like, Oh, that Elliot, he just, he prompts a lot more eye rolls, but he's also, this is necessary for her to be in this therapy with him. And, and yeah. you know, he's not perfect, but Melfi clearly she needs it. Yeah. Elliot's the real deal. He is. He's just uh, annoying. That's it. Yep. So then we get this scene. Uh, this is, I love the awkwardness that they shot this scene and composed this scene in the editing room and on set, I'm sure so brilliantly. It's just so quiet. I love Chris and Polly just kind of lingering in the background, you know, not really like there, but trying to not be there. You know what I mean? Like that whole gangster thing, like I'm here if this gets crazy, but 
Uh, but it's all this is all posturing. This is all that old West kind of standoff thing that they were playing off of in the in the gambling scene. It's all and, and, and Tony, of course, playing it so innocent. Like uh, doesn't oh doesn't see him until Ralphie clears his throat, looks up. Oh, I want to apologize. Oh, Tony's face is like oh well, you're here to apologize. I, I guess I should stop eating. Oh, okay. What do you have to say to me? And making him say it and leaving Ralphie to just. And you can see on Ralphie's face that Tony's demeanor is not at all what he expected based on his conversations with Johnny Sack. He, yep. you know, I think in his head, he expected Tony to be like, Ralphie, you, I mean, you know, you fucked up, right? But we're, you know, if you, but no, Tony is giving him Zippo, nothing. Even after Ralphie digs deep as deep as he can and says, I disrespected the Bing, dot, 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 and the girl. That's all he says on that. And he justifies it with the Coke. Uh, he was doing a lot of Coke and he's not doing the Coke anymore. Tony gives him no words of comfort. No. All right, Ralph, we're good. Just starts eating again. Looks up. Anything else? And Ralphie can only walk off in silence. I've had to give apologies in my life. And that thing you hope to hear after an apology just does not come here. So you can see why Ralphie has kind of angry blue balls in the next scene here. What do we make of this? I, I love this scene. I think this is a great scene. Another great Ralphie Tony scene. This is a, a move of ultimate power. This is Tony flexing. Mm-hmm. This is letting Ralphie know your situation is entirely in my hands. I have all the power. You have none. I can humble you and I can send you away from my table with your tail between your legs and you have to just take it. Uh, Tony wants maybe Ralphie to feel as helpless as Tracy felt, right? Just give him something back. He does not want to give this guy an inch. We can really blame Johnny Sack for fucking up this mediation, and Ralph does need to apologize, but Tony is being really intentionally, uh, you know, aggravating towards Ralphie in this scene, and I am totally on his side. Again, I understand that telling Ralphie something like, I understand, yes. Let's put this behind us so we can move forward together as business partners, as friends, whatever. But his not doing that is way more important to me in terms of Tony maintaining the honor of his character and uh, having the courage of his convictions and saying, no, this this girl's life mattered and how I've been disrespected matters and your feelings don't matter, Ralph. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. Also, the, the, the shot is framed beautifully. You've got Paulie and Chris, two deadly wolves just kind of hanging out on the outside of the scene. Ralphie comes in, he looks so childlike and he's doing like that Cupid doll face thing that Joe, Joey Pants does so well. And Tony's just sitting there eating. You are a two minute interruption in my meal and you are nothing more Ralphie. And it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Uh, also, I think earlier when he's talking to Johnny, Ralphie said something to the effect of, you don't think I know people are laughing at me behind my back. And we know we've noted in this episode that the gossip train moves pretty quick reminded of uma thurman and pulp fiction these guys can be worse than a sewing circle uh the <laughs> word quickly right and um and here it doesn't seem like an accident at all i think jordan also mentioned that they could be there as muscle but i think chris and Polly are the audience right and th- that this is this is that much worse right a, a humiliating encounter yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, well said. It's something else. It's 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 definitely Tony again. He's he's in full boss mode this season. He's he's. Uh, I do like the way he handled this. It's just uh, it's rough. I, I can also see it from Ralphie's point of view of like, fuck, you know, I'm just not getting what I need out of this. 
we get the next scene in the back of the social club, the April family uh, social club there that Richie used to hang out in. Gigi shows up with turkey, says it's uh, mentions the line, uh, this, you know, the turkey, it's like spackle on my bowels, nothing moves. Yeah. <laughs> get, get back to that momentarily. Uh, but uh, he's definitely stressed out. The guys, he mentions there's no Ralph. Please, let's just enjoy the quiet. Yeah, Gigi, <laughs> any reprieve from Ralphie is, is good. Johnny's watching TV, smiling at the Esplanade, having lunch. Ralphie comes in and Johnny says, you know, we're, we're fucking Esplanade. We're going to need bulldozers to take the cash away. Again, big money deal, very important. And the, the Esplanade storyline is not going away anytime soon. So uh, just planting those seeds wherever they can, that this is going to be a big deal for all of them, New York and New Jersey. And Ralphie is... Verklempt, he's beside himself, scraping, bowing, and uh, Johnny's Johnny's a boss. He gets it. Like, hey, you know, he's just playing the game, you know. And and Ralphie says, "No, fuck that. He's going down. Very much more direct threat than he's not leaving me a lot of options, which he says a couple scenes ago. So this is escalating, not de-escalating, as far as everything is building. And uh, Johnny basically. What are you fucking crazy coming in here talking to me like that? I've given my life to this thing. Ralphie's at wit's end. Uh, what is Ralphie going to do? And I have another interesting question I want to throw at you guys. I have no idea where this might go. It might be a cool conversation. It might not. But what's different in this episode up to this point? Had Ralphie just taken the fucking drink at the casino? Anything? That's a tough question. Uh, I don't think that Tony can really forgive him for this Tracy situation. I think not having the drink not sharing a drink is more of an irritant i don't know that that is so much the point of contention i think things might be going better for ralph ralph's not doing himself any favors in the early part of the episode i don't know chris i'm not sure i'm trying to imagine the drink they would share i don't think uh tony's feelings would go away no it's a good it's a good point and that's a great reading um i'm not exactly sure i think yeah maybe things would be marginally better this is the other issue with story um i i do agree with jordan that i much more identify with tony at least reflecting on how this woman tracy was a human being and not just a whore or a piece of meat to be discarded but also at the end of the day i think both these guys in this episode fundamentally are really dealing with their own status and saving face or losing face and that whole thing with the drink was, again, a status question of symbols and what, how things look as opposed to how things are, which is why at the end of the day, also, these guys only had so much of my sympathy because they were mm. self-serving or gangsters. So, but I think it would have had an effect. I mean, certainly um, something's going on with the politics here. How things are perceived is important. We're about mm. to have a beat. Junior knows about everything with tony and ralphie so word gets around and how you lose face or save face is important yep quick cut out of that scene Gigi is having a hard time on the toilet we'll be back shortly then we get this awesome scene with tony and jr which we uh pulled our pull quote from i like this scene because look jr was Pushed out of the business in season two, we're seeing Tony just take, take, take everything that Junior once had as a result of winning the war from season one. And then season three so far, Junior has been not really business minded. He's been sick. He's sick with cancer. He's, he's dealing with 
the indignity of old age, which we discussed at length in the previous episode. So it's despite the fact that he's wrapped up and he's got the heat at night, like, you know, as Tony describes, it's like the fucking Amazon jungle in here and, uh, <laughs> you know, these drafts. So he's, he's definitely diminished. He's suffering from the chemo, but uh, Junior wants to feel useful and, and, and get involved and give Tony a little advice here. And I think it's, it's kind of a nice, moment to see junior back in this capacity as as giving tony some advice on leadership junior has perhaps more wisdom in this scene than, than we've seen before so i like it and uh he, he asks about uh the last name trillo of course gloria's last name is trillo and oh yeah somebody yeah had now he had nine daughters this guy trillo whatever but uh then t- junior's like basically don't you want to hear my thoughts on ralph Sofredo? and offers it any thoughts tony asks and junior says what else do i have left <laughs> a funny line but a but a kind of a sad line too and he lays it out Gigi's not really respected by that crew now on top of that you got ralph pissing in their ear but tony can't pull Gigi out of there because then it looks like he's being indecisive and junior kind of lays it out you know this is what being a boss is you steer the ship the best way sometimes there isn't an answer you steer the ship the best way you know how sometimes it's smooth sometimes you hit the rocks thoughts on this scene thoughts on junior's advice and this uh nice moment between these two old horses you know i actually think uh my reading of the scene would be as simple as you just laid it out uh simply just the wisdom coming from junior's age that um listen even as the boss of the family sometimes you can't win even when you've won you know that there are some situations that um there is no positive outcome you're going to be judged either way and you're going to have to find some way to ride that out and i I think you know, he, he just kind of says that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Junior uh, lays it out nicely, uses the boat, the sh- kind of the ship of state imagery will come back to the, obviously, the question of captain and as well as boats. Uh, by the end of the episode, seeing out some sort of respite from it has the line um, that I chose for our pull quote, in the meantime, you find your pleasures where you can. Chris, as you mentioned, Junior lost the war at the end of season one. But in season one, he was much more vital. He was powerful. He was the boss. He worked against the indignity of getting older. And in spite of uh, how sickly he feels now with these drafts, he says at the beginning of this scene, I ought to be in Boca. Yeah. And I think that's the, the bad nostalgia of when he could get his thrills, which was through going to Boca specifically with that woman that he really, I think, loved. Um or at least loved how she made him feel, that woman, Bobby Sanfilippo. So this is also, I think, a hint to where this episode is moving. Tony seeking out his Boca with with Gloria at the end of the episode. Also, just a quick thing, I do think this is funny. Uh, Tony also, there's so many leftovers because of YO Thanksgiving, and he brought Junior some food, and Junior complains, I think, as a result of his sickness, everything goes right through me. This is intercut with Gigi blowing up on the toilet because everything's packed up. I just think that's mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And what a way to go. Speaking of, uh, I, I don't know that any guy, I think there has to be a part of you when you, you know, I'm sure he's thrilled to be a part of the Sopranos, but you know, you're, I, I imagine when you're on a weekly show like this, <laughs> you're, you're always like wondering, ooh, what's my character going to do this week? And I don't know if die taking a shit is on any actor's bucket list for a, a, a character in a recurring mob show. That's not a criticism of the writing. It, it, these, these, it's just an odd serendipitous death that informs 
what has to happen going forward. So I don't mind it on a writing perspective. I just think like, man, what a, what a shitty way to go out pun intended for Gigi. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Um, it's the kind of thing that seems like it could only happen on the Sopranos where, Hey, you're not getting a mob death. You're uh, dying on the toilet, you know, mm-hmm. deus ex picha duel, right? Um, yep. You know, this is, um, it certainly serves the plot, uh, but it also is just a reminder that like, listen, man, you don't need to be living the gangster's life to die in an unusual way and have your life cut short. You could just be living your life and mm-hmm. about with constipation, you know, and heart disease can take you out. It's uh, yeah, it's really something here. And like you said, this is something that, uh, you know, the Sopranos can pull off in a, in a way that's interesting, but yeah, it, it, it's, it not only serves the plot, but it also serves the show's pattern of anticlimax because Lord knows what would have happened had Gigi not died here. Yeah. Cause Tony making Ralph a captain, which he does in the subsequent scene, is was not on the table moments yep. ago. Also, we're gonna we're gonna double down on this idea that Ralph Cifaretto is like the luckiest character of all time. Just like good fortune just surrounds this guy always. Yeah. Tony said Ralph Captain over my dead body, but it's just it's just another dead body. Right. Someone right. else's dead body. Yeah. Yep. And I I love I have always loved this scene because it's like it's one of those things, especially. You know, you think about people in powerful positions and what decisions they have to make and who they're going to promote and what all this, this scene at the funeral, first of all, very, very funny dialogue between Paulie and Silvio there about dying on the toilet and Elvis and, you know, the producer of the Simpsons, Dom something, Uh, (laughs) but, but just funny dialogue there. But this, this, I've always remembered this as a pivotal moment in season three, when Tony is looking at the remains of the April crew one at a time. And you got Vito patting his head, this, this just bloated cartoon character at this point, sitting there patting his head. Then you got like Eugene Ponacorvo passed out sleeping, Donnie Kay getting some schmutz off his tie. Then you come to Ralph, who's just sitting there. And it's like, it's obvious who belongs at the top here. It just, it's like such a shit pill for Tony to have to swallow at this point. But I, I just, I've always loved that shot. It's just like, look at this gang of bozos here that Tony has to draw from. He's looking for any potential other route and he just doesn't have it here. None of these guys are ready. So he does a toast with Artie to Gigi at, at Vesuvio. Yet again, this empty, closed Vesuvio setting. Artie leaves to rotate his pork shoulder. Artie seems like he's doing great and is divorced, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely not uh, not doing well. Plainly wasted at work, smoking a cigarette in the joint. <laughs> already he's a real sad sack right now yeah but ralphie comes in there's a bottle of liquor on the table and tony just lays it out plainly i i have to imagine again this speaks to the wonderful acting on james gandolfini's part tony's dialogue on page is very simple very simple i'm making you captain that's the line and he just adds so much regret pain (laughs) but also like just fact, matter of fact, delivery there is so good. And Ralphie, of course, is thrilled. This is this is what he's actually been wanting. And for a moment, he thinks, oh, maybe it was my apology. But then I need to hear that it was merit and not that some guy got constipated and blew a gasket. Tony's basically like, ostensibly, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, Ralphie. You're getting what you want. You're going to be making a lot more money. Don't put too much fucking thought into this. <laughs> 
Ralphie accepts it, offers the drink. Tony doesn't even verbally say no. He just kind of eh, shakes his head, downs the drink that he had. He could have very easily just poured Ralphie a shot and had this drink. But this is Tony's way of making it very clear that, like, you know, you are a lucky fuck because this could have all gone a much different way. Yeah. Again, I think it makes us uncomfortable to watch that moment, but also it, it is so important that Tony sticks to his guns and that he states plainly by downing his own drink and walking out uh, saying to Ralphie, you know, I will not break bread with you. Uh, I can't, I can't let this just to the side. We're going to do business, but this is not a friendship. Exactly. Yes. That the, the, the era of you and I hanging out, having dinner, that's done. Yeah. You know, exactly but he's captain and it is what it is but tony drops the line be careful what you wish for you know what they say be careful what you wish for and this is tony being uh very glib here with that remark downs his drink walks out jackie and dino two two scholars two two young (laughs) two young men on the rise having a very uh crude conversation at a pool table did you fuck her yet god Anyway, his keys are there. What was that, Paul? The body is mad, right? Yeah, she's creaming for me, man. All right, let's let's stop this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, two two fucking gavones over here, as we say in in, in Italian. And um, Meadow and Jackie are uh, there, and she's very drunk. She wants to go. He wants to stay and play another round of pool because he's such a good boyfriend. You know, this is like the honeymoon phase. He should be like, oh, Dino, I got to go. Meadow wants to leave. It's like, you know, but he's he's just a fucking he's a jerk off. He doesn't want to yep. go. So she she's drunk. She's being playful. She's being a, a quote unquote brat, whatever. Uh, but again, exhibiting her immaturity. Again, this is somebody who is not of legal drinking age, drinking and in college and freshman year. And she just grabs his keys runs into the car. I think she's just trying to be playful or is not really obviously in her right mental state, but she, uh, she grabs it, gets in this car and fucking drives off a little, what do you call that? A a hill, a little hill there and uh, makes a fool of herself. Uh, And you, you know, first half a second, you're like, Oh my God, is she hurt? No, her purse is stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but the point is, ultimately, at the end, that Jackie uh, comes to her rescue and says, you know, fuck the car, at least you're okay. And and we're led to believe at this point, at this moment in time, at the end of the scene, that you can safely say Jackie and Meadow are a thing. Yes. Yep. That's ultimately the destination here. Right. Yeah, the whole previous fight was, you wouldn't go with me, but you go with that black guy. And at the end, she says, I want to go with you. Right. Um, And they're framed out by the car and the next scene, I think very playfully has Tony going to Globe Motors and instead of the woman stealing the car, Tony is going to give the car a quote test drive. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Tony goes uh, Mercedes shopping. I don't know if this, uh, again, it's a soprano, so maybe it's, maybe it's deliberate. Maybe David Chase would tell me I'm overthinking it. I couldn't help but notice as Tony drives off with Gloria that he drives over a big yellow arrow pa- painted onto the pavement, pointing the opposite direction he was going. So maybe, maybe, I, I, you know, if that wasn't deliberate, that's cool. But if it was deliberate, that's also cool. <laughs> it's basically like, you're not supposed to go this way, but here we are. Drives off with her. Well, Jordan 
our title for this episode, which is uh, What You Wish For. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Tony, uh, he was issuing a warning to Ralph, but shouldn't Tony at least consider his own advice? He should. I'll just I'll just leave that as a question and I'm sure we'll discuss it later. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very interesting. Drives off. The but final button on this episode is Gloria laying naked in the bed of the Stugats, Tony's boat, calling Melfi to cancel an appointment. Tony comes in. All they had was wine coolers. But he says it loud enough and clear enough that there's a little glimpse of recognition in Melfi's eyes when, you know. Sure is. And I think there's a moment where she's on the phone with Gloria as, as hanging up where she's like, oh, Lord, what have I done? Um, <laughs> yep. And because she's a therapist, she can't quite call Gloria on it at this point in time. But. There is a, a feeling of horror in the pit of Melfi's stomach, which should give us the audience cause for alarm. As oh, this uh, whole thing is this whole thing is cause for alarm. And then Tony climbs in bed with her, and they're very passionately kissing. And we get this sh- beautiful shot of the Mercedes on the dock. Wonderful music choice at the end here. Pan out and the end of the episode. Any final thoughts on He Is Risen? Yes. With the introduction of Gloria Trillo for the first time as a viewer, I asked myself this question which I will qualify by saying this, you know, in the previous episode in um, second opinion, we get a spotlight on Carmela and she's once again asking herself, you know, is Tony really the right partner for me? And this episode with Gloria for the first time, seeing Tony choose adultery again with a woman who it suggested to us and everything about her manner could be perhaps a better match. I asked finally, is Carmela actually the right match for Tony? Did these two people get together just because they were young lovers and it was out of tradition and the families lined up and they were in love at the time? Uh, Or have they now become totally different people? And this is really the person that Tony should be with. This was something that felt more legitimate to me than Irina. And we get this impression from how she's introduced that this is going to be a major presence on this show. I can't wait to see where it's going, but I have a feeling it's going in the same place that Jackie Jr.'s car went right into an embankment. Oh, that's well said. Yeah, I think uh, the Casey Chambers song, The Captain, is yep. going to be in the running for one of my music cue choices for this season, I'm sure. Very well executed. Great, uh, great use of that tune. Again, um, as you I- talked about in the last episode, Paul, a, a song that is not like particularly to my taste. It's not going to be on my iPod anytime soon, but he just nails these oddball music choices that just put a perfect button on everything. It's It's very nice. Yeah, certainly the same for me. And uh, that last shot panning out where it almost looks like the boat and the car are meeting as clandestine lovers. And of course, the ducks next to the seagulls in the water, the threat to Tony's family once again is present. We're at an interesting point here, guys. We are past the halfway point in season three. And it, 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 it's it's odd. Anytime we hit the halfway point of a season or kind of get past it, it's it's it still feels like oh man how did it happen so fast how are we already yeah. here but oddly enough uh, we're racing toward the end uh, and we have uh, quite a bit of action um, I am extremely excited to cover the back half of season three with you guys because especially because Jordan has a limited memory of it and uh, so it's going to be a very fresh to him but also there's some real classic amazing shit coming your way so. We're all excited to cover it, uh, but again, I'm uh, that that that'll that'll be it for today. He has risen indeed, and uh, yeah, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Manstini, and I'm Jordan Hugh. 
And we will be back next time with a return to Michael Imperioli in the writer's seat with the Telltale Mutadel. Almost time for turkey sandwiches. I got myself a gun.